I'd like for you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. I hope you brought your Bibles. Open your Bibles, please. Hebrews chapter 9. David McCaslin writes, Recently I read about a private investigator in the U.S. who would knock on a door, show his badge to whoever answered, and say, I guess we don't have to tell you why we're here. (laughs) Many times the person would look stunned and say, How did you find out? and then go on to describe an undiscovered criminal act committed long ago. Writing in Smithsonian Magazine, Ron Rosenbaum described the reaction as an opening for the primal force of conscience, the telltale heart's internal monologue. The telltale heart's internal monologue. Interesting way to put that burden of conscience. We know what it is to feel guilty. We know what it is to feel guilty, and no one has the ability to totally clear their own conscience. Now that would be a very disheartening reality were it not for the truth of the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ who brings peace. Who brings peace. Not only peace with God, but also peace within. Peace with ourselves. This morning we return to the first 14 verses of Hebrews 9. I trust you're there now where we see a reminder of this difficulty of the conscience. But it's a difficulty that Jesus deals with. And we're going to see how he deals with the guilty conscience here as we read. So follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read, beginning in verse 1, Hebrews chapter 9. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat, Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this... The Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. 
but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. And verse 11 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now, how is the writer of Hebrews showing us that Jesus is the answer to the guilty conscience? Last week we began looking at verses 1 through 14 and we saw the structure here, the structure of the tent and its contents that served as the tabernacle. And the purpose the writer of Hebrews has in mind is to show us how Jesus is the better mediator of the better covenant. And as that better mediator, as our great high priest, he is able to purify the guilty conscience. So in verses 1 through 5, the writer took us on a brief tour of the tabernacle. The outer chamber, the holy place, and the inner chamber, the most holy place, and he showed us all the furniture and the items within. And I noted last time that it all held theological and spiritual significance. We took some time on that last week to think about some of the spiritual significance, the theological significance for the Jews and for us. But the point the writer is making, and he makes that clear in verse 5, that he's not going into greater detail about those things, is that they were all a foreshadowing. They were not the reality. They were a foreshadowing of what was to come in Christ. Warren Wearsby writes, and this is helpful, he says, No doubt many spiritual truths are wrapped up in these pieces of furniture, and all of them are of value. But the most important truth is this. All of this was symbolism and not the spiritual reality. It was this fact that made the tabernacle of the old covenant inferior. So in verses 1 through 5, we are shown the structure of the tent the structure of the tabernacle and its contents. And now we pick up in verses 6 through 10 where the writer is saying, consider the rituals. Think about and consider the rituals performed by the priest. And we're looking at verses 6 through 10, and I want you to consider whether or not the rituals could completely cleanse the guilty conscience of the worshiper of God. In verse 6, we are reminded that the common priests entered into the first chamber and they did so daily to attend to their duties as prescribed by the law. But get this, and we see it here, they were never finished. They were never finished. 
Daily they went. Note it in verse 6. The priests go regularly. That was daily. Every day they had to go into the first chamber, the holy place, to perform the daily rituals, but they were never finished. And note this, that only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies, that second chamber, separated by the thick and heavy veil. And he would take with him, as Homer Kent indicates in his commentary on Hebrews, the blood of a bullock as the sin offering for himself and his household. And again, he entered with the blood of a goat as the sin offering for the people. Furthermore, the taking of the censer of burning coals and the incense into the Holy of Holies may have required an additional entrance. But note that that was all on one day, prescribed one day he was allowed to do that. He was permitted to go in on that one day each year. And when the high priest entered, it had to be with the blood offering. Homer Kent goes on to say, This was required for his personal sins as well as those of the people he represented. Unintentional takes into account the mosaic distinction between sins of ignorance and sins of presumption. In the case of the former, atonement was available. For the latter, the sin was that of deliberate rebellion against God and no sacrifice was provided. So let's not miss something very important here. This ritual never brought people into God's presence. It could never fully cleanse the guilty conscience. In fact, this tent, the tabernacle itself, was a visible reminder by God, as seen in verse 8, that perfect access to God by people was incomplete. Note verse 8 again. Look at it. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened. As long as the first section is still standing. And the point here is that as long as the earthly tabernacle remained, with its two chambers divided, then access to God in the holy of holies was blocked by the first chamber, the holy place. So remember that this was all illustrating spiritual truth and it was all a foreshadowing of Christ. In fact, verses 9 and 10 go on to make that point. Verse 8 says, leading us into verses 9 and 10, verse 8 says that the way into the holy places is not yet open. And look again at verses 9 and 10, which is symbolic, says verse 9, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, says verse 9, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. And so the significance of the ministry of the earthly tabernacle is being shown to us here. It was an illustration. It was a physical representation of the truth that access to God's presence was unavailable as long as God chose to demonstrate His presence in this way with the tabernacle. 
You see, if a common person were to seek to enter the holy place, there was a curtain at the first chamber to remind them they were not permitted to enter the tabernacle. Only the priest could enter the holy place to perform their daily rituals. Only the priests could do that. And then inside there was a heavy curtain which reminded common priests that they were not permitted into the Holy of Holies, that second chamber. Only the high priest could do so, and only on that one day prescribed each year. And none of this, including the sacrifices offered, could ultimately heal or cleanse the conscience of the worshiper. It was all symbolic, says verse 9. It's pointing forward. It pointed forward to the time of reformation, says verse 10. The way into God's presence had not been revealed in this Old Testament ritual. And it was all a symbol to teach us something. It was all a symbol to teach the Jewish people and to teach us that you need to be forgiven your sins. You need to be forgiven and cleansed of your sins. And that only came by the sacrificing of blood, by the shedding of blood. The Old Testament sacrifice provided a ceremonial cleansing. Get this. It was a ceremonial cleansing. It was an external cleansing. That Old Testament sacrifice provided that ceremonial cleansing, but it couldn't provide perfect healing of the conscience. That ritual did point to something else, though, that could heal the conscience. This is all pointing to Jesus. This is all pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. So now having considered the structure of the tabernacle and its contents and the rituals performed there by the priest, the writer says, consider how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. Consider how Jesus is better than all of that. Now we're looking at verses 11 through 14. And in verses 11 and 12, I see three words that should stand out to us in comparison to all of the ritual that we see coming before that couldn't give complete access to God or cleanse the guilty conscience. I want you to listen again to verses 11 and 12. I want you to look at them again with me, verses 11 and 12, and listen for these three words. There are three words I want you to look for and listen for. Once, all, and eternal. Look at verses 11 and 12. But when Christ appeared, and I've said this before, but my favorite word in the Bible is but. Have you ever noticed what, what good things come after that? There's a, there's a change of direction. I, I love this when we find this, but God. And that's what we're seeing here. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing 
an eternal redemption. Once, all, eternal, wonderful words there in verse 12. There's wonderful news here as verse 12 tells us that Jesus only needed to enter into the holy places how many times? Once. Once. And holy places here speaks of heaven, which I think is made clear in verse 11 when it says that through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. That can't be something on earth. That's heaven. And this is all pointing to Christ's own sacrifice, after which we have seen here in Hebrews, He was, what? Where was He after the sacrifice? He was seated in heaven at the Father's right hand. Hebrews 8.1 says, We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty, God the Father, in heaven. And the point here in chapter 9 is that Jesus only needed to sacrifice once. Praise God. Think how disheartening it must have been to realize that the priest had to go in daily and then the high priest had to go in once a year for that blood sacrifice. We have this wonderful truth proclaimed to us here in Hebrews and throughout God's Word that we have a Savior whose work is finished. He was the sacrifice. And He didn't offer the blood of goats and calves. It was His own blood which He sacrificed and it was necessary only once. And... It was for all. Note this in verse 12. For all who believe in Jesus, for all who trust in Christ, for all who repent of their sins and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, His sacrifice saves all. His sacrifice saves all who put their faith in Him who turned to the Lord Jesus in faith, who turned to Him and trust Him with their lives, with their guilty conscience. It was once for all, and it is eternal. Thus, verse 12, thus securing an eternal redemption. And what does this accomplish? Just think of this. Jesus once for all sacrificed for our eternal redemption from sin also purifies the guilty conscience of the one redeemed, of the one forgiven, of the one cleansed. Verse 13 reminds us that the rituals performed by the priest could only provide temporary external cleansing. But Jesus brings once for all 
eternal cleansing, eternal redemption, eternal salvation, eternal forgiveness of sins. So verse 14 says, and look at verse 14 again, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This all makes Jesus the better mediator of the better covenant. And through faith in Christ, our sins are forgiven and our conscience made pure from dead works so that we may now serve the living God with joy. Let's think of it this way. If you truly see Christ for who He is, if you are truly overwhelmed at what you see in Christ, you will truly worship God because of Christ. And then you will gladly serve Him. You will gladly, joyfully, willingly serve the living God. What we need is not to be challenged to serve more. We need to be challenged to worship God for who He is. And our service to God will follow. We will joyfully commit ourselves to serving the one true God who sent the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive our sins and cleanse our guilty conscience. I found these words very encouraging from pastor and radio preacher from many years ago. Some of you will recognize the name J. Vernon McGee. He says, It is the conscience of a man that needs to be cleansed. You and I have not really arrived until we enter into this marvelous sacrifice of Christ, recognizing His authority to absolutely forgive and cleanse us from sin. It is the conscience that has been made alert by the Word of God but it can only rest in a finished salvation. We can pillow our head at night knowing our sins are entirely, totally, fully forgiven. We can know that we are right with God because Christ has made it right. And it is with this wonderful truth this wonderful reminder this morning of the shed blood of Christ and His totally sufficient sacrifice for our sins that we now have the privilege of preparing ourselves to celebrate together the Lord's Supper. This is a reminder of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us, what we could not do ourselves. His totally sufficient sacrifice for our sins ought to prepare us with joy to worship Him for who He is, to celebrate what He has accomplished for us. Fully forgiving our sins, completely cleansing and purifying our guilty conscience, so that we may now serve Him with joy.
so that we might now worship him from the bottom of our hearts without guilt. Without guilt, no matter what the devil would like to remind us of, without guilt of any of those past sins which God has forgiven because Christ shed his blood.